Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. So, December in the garden, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Peter. And yes, it's going a lot chillier. Those nights have really drawn in now, haven't they? And they are. are. But have you had a frost? Because you, I, I reckon you said you'd had a frost a couple of months ago. Yep, back in... And I've not seen a frost in Northampton. No, I think in October, late October we had one. But since then, uh, it's been. we've had some chilly nights recently. But I think the forecast, I have been looking, yeah, if December is looking that bit cold, colder, apparently. So Jack's coming home. He is, is finally yeah. coming home. Because he's Me- not... Yeah, like like I say, he's not been to Northampton this year. No, well, it's, uh, <laughs> let's hope we don't have the beast from the east, because obviously that's the, the, the worry, isn't it, as we go into early, early part of December, that that can obviously cause all sorts of problems for we're us gardeners. Well, yeah. we've certainly had a lot of rain yes. here in the, the last few days, haven't we? And mm-hmm. it, I mean, I don't know whether the water tables will get properly replenished this winter, but it certainly seems... The, the rains have come back mm. now, at least. So. Yes, indeed. And I've noticed my wisteria is still hanging on to, to her leaves, um, mm. incredibly. Yep. You know, some some plants just want to hang on in there, but uh, everything else is nicely. Yeah, the, the colour was good, if a bit short-lived, because of those winds we had and the, and the heavy rain. And with the warm weather we've had, I mean... I think mail ordered and you know, all the plants turned up. What last week? Mm. The week where they're, they're just and I, I saw some quickthorn going out uh, this morning, and they've still got leaves on. Indeed, yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it, Peter? That the retention of, of leaves if the, we don't get those cold nights in sort of October, early November has a knock-on effect. And I know fruit growers are very passionate that they don't like to let their trees go out of the nursery until they're they've dropped their leaves. Insane. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's why mm. you think that in bare root. It's lost its leaves. It's not mm. photosynthesizing. It's gone into gone to rest for the mm. the winter. And yeah, I guess if it's still got leaves on and the roots are growing, you don't mm. want to move it, do mm. you? And the other the other sort of implication of that is that when plants are moved, you know, from nursery, if they've got leaves on, of course, leaves will generate heat, which can be a problem. And in fact, that is a, yeah. a major issue sometimes that uh, plants effectively can cook in transport, which is it has it is it's not unusual. So it is they start composting down effectively, they were, don't do, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The compost heap st- starts with the plants, which is not a, a good way. So the quicker we can, you know, get the plants out and obviously get plenty of air circulating around them. That's why when we heal them in, we do give them some space uh, in the yep. field for that to, to help to uh, cool the foliage down. In hopefully the plants are then in nice rest for ready for planting. Excellent. And the other thing I saw sort of being set up was uh, the area for the Christmas trees. It's not long for them either, is Indeed, it? Indeed, yes. And I think this year, Peter, we're doing with Nordsman, Nordsman fir. Yeah. Um, obviously, the, the well, and we've got the budget range of um, the Norway spruce coming back in for okay. the first time in quite a few years. Quite a few years, yeah. Um, so I think Christmas trees starting this year at £20, which is... Nice price. Indeed. But equally, the thing that I'm really pleased about is the fact that the potted selection of Christmas mm. trees, which I say five years ago might have been 50 or so plants, is growing. Mm, and is, the, yeah. We went round um, to look at some other garden centres uh, last week, and mm. similar to us, mm. their Christmas tree, the live Christmas trees are already out and they've mm. got a Good, I'd say some of them are up to about a third of their space devoted to live trees now. Yeah, so that's suggesting to me that customers, and we know, you know, customers, you know, really love their Christmas trees, don't they? Mm. It's that attachment that you can keep the plant, you know, growing from year to year, whether you, you pot it on and grow it as, a, as a, a specimen plant in a pot, 
uh, or you you know you, you pot the plant into the garden plunge plant it maybe yep. and then so bring yeah bring it in. plunge planting then you can keep the roots in a fairly compact mm. sort of way but it can grow some new ta- uh, taper roots are they what are the fibrous yeah so it can grow some new fibrous roots out of the holes in the pot, and obviously then you can semi bonsai it, I suppose, in that's a what way. You're doing, isn't it? isn't it? Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing, and that will keep the plant nicely retained. I would say if when you've you've bought your tree, if um, in, in when obviously you need to acclimatize it after Christmas anyway, you need to give it maybe into a porch, or if you've got a cold greenhouse, or in the you know in a light garage, just give it a, a maybe a four or five weeks before you actually plant it out. To okay, get, because it's been in a nice warm house, yeah, 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 through the festive season. And if you, you know, if some of those people who put those would, straight out, it wouldn't like oh, go into no, a thermal it, shock, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> get a bit of a chill, wouldn't it? And that's not good. Um, and obviously, make sure it's got plenty of water, obviously, whilst it's indoors anyway, but certainly when you put it outside. And then maybe have a look at the root system and maybe pot it up into a slightly larger pot before you, you plunge plant it. Then it's got a bit of growing room. Yeah, that's a there. good idea. Um, that's what I would do if I was I was going down that way. But if it's a, a you know a Nordsman, one of these wonderful uh, Norway, you know the, the Norway's good because it has very small needles, needles, and of course they, those needles can fall. But obviously Nordsman have much thicker, more robust, and obviously very uh, they're quite textural, aren't they? They've got a lovely sort of mm. resinous uh, material on them, and they obviously hang on so much better. But do they? Does a live Christmas tree smell as much as a cut one? Oh, I would have thought so, yes, yeah, most okay. definitely, because as soon as you bring a, a Christmas tree into the home, you obviously get the... You get that room. lovely aroma, oh, don't you? Yeah. And I think that's where the plastic trees miss out. Is Indeed. That, well, we sell, sell scent sticks just to give the authentic <laughs> Christmas tree smell to your plastic tree. It's brilliant. <laughs> and they are, I mean, they're very, very popular, and they do work. I, I, I tend to use a few of those on uh, one of my trees, and uh, it does give you that nice sort of Christmassy feeling, doesn't it? In, yeah, yeah, no, in, it definitely yeah, boosts yeah. the smell somewhat, doesn't it? It does. But, and the, Another question, Chris, mm. with the live Christmas trees. Presumably, if you're like plunge planting them mm-hmm. and chopping the roots back, you can actually, if you could essentially bonsai it. So, yes. if you buy, once it gets to say six foot tall, you probably don't want it to get much taller. You could actually keep it at six foot tall and the mm-hmm. trunk will just get slowly bigger and bigger it, and it would um i mean the plant will still want to produce it so it's obviously its main shoot in the spring so you'd probably need to sort of taper that back so you might need to get the secateurs out and trim it okay. um but then when you look at most of the trees you buy in the garden centers now they are all trimmed they yeah they're given quite a to what you know i'm thinking about sort of 20 years ago you know the tree came in as it was cut from the field now no there's a lot more passion from the the Christmas tree growers to get a much better shape well i think that's what they they all strive for these days isn't it is the perfect sort of pyramid shape and they they go out pruning a couple of times a year and it does make a big difference it does and that's usually done if memory serves me correctly during sort of july um, june july into early august so it gives the plant time to recover so that's the time perhaps to to go out there and just give it a little bit of a trim to to because obviously you're going to see the tree in your own house you're going to know how wide you want it to grow or what space so you've you got could to actually fill trim it into a really narrow thin tree if you wanted to or mm-hmm. make it really wide and yeah you know, take up lots of space indeed yeah, lots idea. of options but well i know uh, when i moved into my house the previous owners had planted a christmas tree mm-hmm. in the garden and to be fair we re- recycled it here and mm. it went into the car park about mm. four or five years ago Excellent. and it had got to about 30 foot tall by the time we cut it down so it, it, it had a good life 
Indeed, a lot of the Christmas tree growers don't. Their, their pledge is always to plant at least four for every tree they 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 cut. That's the I think that's the minimum they do. So all right. So obviously they get a you know their 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 yield on yep. their uh, their acreage is obviously somewhat increased, and that's why you know they are properly farmed. And a lot of people do get a little bit um, a little bit sensitive to the fact that you know cut trees are you know um, are they actually environmentally friendly? Well, I think they are if they're farmed properly, which of course in the UK. Uh, they certainly are. Do they have FSC certificates on them? I haven't noticed. I've never looked. Okay. I, I'm going to have a look this year. <laughs> see, see if our Christmas trees are <laughs> sustainable stocks. I'm thinking back to last year. Mm-hmm. We had a very good interview with Jane Perone, didn't we? Who's the houseplant expert and reminds me about the her comments about Ponsettias. <laughs> She's not. She's not the biggest fan, shall we say? She's not. But um, we've yeah. got ours coming in very shortly. Or are mm. they in now? Yeah, they're, they're actually yeah, nicely displayed. All UK, well, locally grown. Not sort of thirty minutes from the garden centre is our poinsettia grower. Really? So Where are they based? They're Leighton Buzzard, so okay. literally in Bedfordshire. So wow. Yeah, so they couldn't be any closer. Um, I mean, in other years we've we've got them from the the south coast, from uh, down in Sussex. But this yep. year again, we're returning to something a little bit. Local and again, it helps on the on well, carbon, less carbon f- foot, mm. carbon miles, isn't it? So it that's is, always yeah. good and equally helping yeah. our local growers. Indeed, so. yeah. And I think you know, poinsettias are obviously are a high maintenance crop, and of course, they use lots of energy, as we know. So it's going to be an interesting year. But uh, what what I've seen of them, there's some really nice crops, and the UK are we're growing some really good poinsettias. So we're not having to rely on too much of imports from from Holland and and Belgium, which is which is good news. Brilliant. And yeah, like you say, nice to have really local ones this mm, year. Indeed. And thinking about climate change and the fact that we're warming up, the RHS have been moving some of their collections around, haven't yeah, they, Chris? they have, Peter. And it's it's quite interesting. Um, basically, uh, obviously, RHS Wisley is obviously in Surrey, very yep. warm, very dry. And there's two national collections they have down there, both the rhubarb and the gooseberry. Okay. Type. So two f- fruiting plants. Yeah, yeah, because last year my rhubarb mm. didn't do at all well. It had sort of semi-collapsed. I must say I didn't water it an awful lot, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it, it didn't do great. Uh, yeah. So uh, the RHS was struggling with their mm, rhubarbs and gooseberries in Surrey, were they? Yeah, so they've made a decision, which is quite, I think, quite radical, to move up to their, obviously, the RHS quarters at Bridgewater, which is just outside Manchester. Manchester okay. famous for its rain, of course, its heavy yep. rainfall. Um, but it's not just the rain, it's the the temperatures, because obviously Surrey's nice and warm as well. Basically, rhubarb needs between seven to nine weeks below three degrees. All right, okay. Which, so that helps to put the plant, we're talking about uh, putting plants in slumber for, for bare-rooted plants. Well, it's the same for rhubarb, it needs a, a cool, cold rest and then you right. can you can then start forcing it usually in late January by uh, by putting a dustbin or putting one of those lovely decorative uh, rhubarb forces on top to start yep. your crop. So because they warm it up. Because I'm just thinking mm. about that when the commercial growers often use fridges, don't they, to That's it. cool the rhubarb corns down. Yeah, and then I guess yeah, you can plant them out and put them into a little 
closhing off, off they go, go isn't they? Yeah. Really quickly and early. Yeah, the famous, I think it's the rhubarb triangle. That's down, that's up in Yorkshire, isn't it? Wakefield area. There's a famous lot of growers up there. And they, right. obviously, I've got the temperatures there. It's nice and cold in that part of Yorkshire. Um, and, of course, then they, to, to, to produce forced rhubarb for the re- for the restaurants and for the uh, the supermarkets, they then put use artificial lights to extend the season. So from suddenly being cold, uh, completely immobile, they're given obviously warmth, light, and of course then they and produce, off they and off they go, and they produce those amazing uh, rhubarb sticks with that delicious flavour. Mm. So, um, so that's a good reason for yeah. And I think I think the the the, the gooseberries was uh, was following the same fate. Although I I had heard that I think the RHS are doing quite a lot of research on um, on, on gooseberries because they've they've lost favour. I mean. They're not as popular as they used to be, and I think well, they've got thorns on them. They, uh, they, they prickle you when you go and try and get the gooseberries off them. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and some of the best varieties are the, the older varieties. Are, of course, are very susceptible to mildew, which of course can put a yep. real backner on it. So, um, yeah, so the, the two main collections are moving. They're north. moving up yeah, north, yeah. but in a way mm. that surprises mm. me because, mm. to me, gooseberries when they haven't had enough sun and warmth. Really acid and sour. They need, and they in the summer they need that mm. sunshine. But yes. I guess maybe they also need the water because they are very. Yeah. I'm going to say liquid, but they've got a lot of liquid inside them. Yeah, a key time, of course, yeah. when they're putting that. So that probably is, if they don't get the water, they don't swell up properly, and That's then it. yeah. So yeah, interesting. But uh, you know, you just wonder what's next. I mean, the collection. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, for, for for the rhubarb, it's you know, hundred eight, you know, hundred eighty varieties. I mean, it's huge numbers. Wow. Yeah. So you know, uh, yes, that, that, that's quite a few rhubarbs. <laughs> it's, it's for them to do with. And the other part of this this report, uh, which was in uh, Garden News Magazine, was the fact that the RHS have sort of listed the plants which haven't done well this summer. I'm sure we all know them. Okay. And, what uh, other ones haven't done well then? Well, no real surprises. Japanese maples. <laughs> yeah, probably just too hot for them. Right. Yeah. And uh, anemones, Japanese uh, anemones, astilbes, quite a lot of ferns, hookeras, uh, flocks, and even fuchsias have floundered in the in the hot weather. So, ah. um, popular plants, you know, you know, the mainstay of our summer displays, aren't they? So mm. that will be interesting. I don't think it'll put, but certainly will put me off growing my my Japanese maples. But it, it's probably a bit of a lesson, isn't it, that we need to be a little bit more prepared for those high temperatures and do you think it's the temperature or is it the lack of water or the fact that the water is obviously evaporating far quicker i think you're right it's a mixture of both isn't it i think it's a perfect storm of, of plants really struggling to get moisture especially as some of those plants might be grown in pots too mm, that's what i was thinking i yeah. wonder if it's just they're drying out too quickly and yeah. not getting the chance to yeah. rehydrate and the temperatures as well i mean certainly when uh, we visited bull colgrave i think it was one of the hottest days the, the temperatures on their pots was you know in excess of like forty degrees, and of yeah. course that cooks roots rather rather yeah, well. Yeah, rather than <laughs> letting them grow. Helps them grow. Yeah. And now the contentious issue of who's got the oldest tree. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it amuses me whenever I see this because unfortunately, until obviously the tree's died and you cut it down mm. and counted all the rings. Indeed. Are you ever going to know? And equally, so many of the really, really old trees have like multiple trunks, can I say? That's right, yeah. The the middle's died or the side, they've grown sideways and... Yeah, it's become multi-stemmed or it's it's taken on a a real bit of stature. It's become a, 
yeah, sort of a, a living st- statue in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they, they look lovely. But anyway, yeah. mm. the U's have hit the headlines yeah. from Surrey now, haven't they? That's but, right. <laughs> so the same. We, we, we've put them up against the American Pines, haven't we? This time, Chris. Yeah. So we've got we've got two contenders, Peter. We've got the Great Basin uh, Bristlecone Pine, which apparently frequents some part of South. California, it's closely like, guarded secret though. We don't yeah, know where. No, we know where, and that's suggested that it's over five thousand years old. Okay, uh, and then of course we've got our our very own, and you know we've got to be really coy about this, but the uh, the oldest U uh, area down in uh, Newlands Corner. So it's actually got an. Uh, we can see where it is. Uh, that's okay. down in in Guildford near Surrey, yep. and that has one of the oldest, largest population of U. Possibly more than the word possibly appears in the text. Yeah, five thousand years old. So there you go. You got the battle of the the giants, as it so were. The you versus the pine. Pine, yes. Which one's older? Yeah. It's really interesting because pines mm. are mm. obviously get quite large, and I suppose you you trees do as well. But yeah. they grow a little bit slower, don't they? Yeah. But, and I was yeah, I always think of, of pines though the wood not being as strong as yeah the timber mm. not being as well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's always considered a, a cheaper bit of wood, isn't it? Really? Well, it's a softwood, it's isn't a softwood, it? Rather yeah. than a yew, which, which is, is a... the perfect um, bow and arrow making wood from yeah, memory. And that's why could... we used to grow them mm. all those years ago. Indeed, yeah. And yeah, being a conifer, it's evergreen. So it's, you know, it, it, it sits on the, on the, uh, the landscape very well. Um, so, that, yes, this is all to do with conservationfoundation.co.uk. They've created this uh, heritage trees um, sort of website and of course okay. uh, it's also celebrating its 40th anniversary so to, to to bring that to our attention we were introduced to the, the newlands corner use and uh, yeah so well there's some uh, mm. yeah I, i've not been to that area but i know i'm just thinking about sort of woodlands we've mm. got obviously burnham beaches mm. which isn't that far south from us that's sort of South Amersham, is it? Yeah, South Buckinghamshire, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They, they, yeah. they've got some famous pollarded trees from they memory. They are, yeah, reputed to be many, many hundreds of years old, perhaps not into the thousands, but certainly pollarded, which is a different way of, of training and pruning. If you ever go, get a chance to go over to France, you often see, uh, uh, especially the big roads there, very across the, the wonderful arable farms, they pollard a lot of their poplars, so they cut them back at about probably two or three meters. Right. So you get this explosion of of sort of shoots. So mm. they're they're very yeah very restricted. They do look a bit, bit eerie, a little bit odd. Um, but it obviously keeps them. Um, well, they, they obviously they pollard sometimes the wood for using for different reasons. You might do you might pollard your uh, your willows or your hazel. Okay. For, for you know, for, for withies, if you're going to do that, or uh, if you're going to create a, a cricket bat or something, yeah. Uh, so you might use those for there. So yeah, it's a good good way of, of restricting your growth, and often used obviously in, in certain hedges. Hmm. Excellent. So yeah, I guess if you want to go and see some old beech trees, mm. go to South Bucks. If That's you it. want to see some really old yew trees, you yeah. can go to Surrey. Surrey, yes. And, and explore. And go and explore these, yeah, especially at this time of the year. You know, winter walks are a good way of. Getting rid of some of that uh, Christmas excess, aren't they? <laughs> As we're about to enter that period, and uh, anyway, enjoy and, and enjoy the landscapes. And fertilizers are in the news again, but mm. this time not from sort of over fertilizing and polluting the ground that way, but actually by confusing the bees and the bumblebees. Yes, it, I, I was quite amazed. This is some research done over in the University of Bristol, Peter, and they found that treating flowers uh, with synthetic fertilizers. 
can cause what they, they sort of describe as an electrical field, if you like, right, so, yep. so part, which which actually makes around the, the flowers and it makes the, the, it more difficult for the bees to identify the species of flower. So in a way, it messes up with their sort of guidance system um, yep. in, a, in a sort of <laughs> sort of a Star Warsy way. You try it's been it's it's basically having a, a knock on effect. So it disorientates the bumblebees, so they can't actually find the, the flowers they need to to pollinate and to obviously take uh, food from. It certainly makes sense because mm. I know bees do specifically feed on certain crops at certain Indeed. times of the year and mm. they are very specific as to what they want to eat mm. so if they can't tell the difference between the tomato flower and the apple flower or yeah yeah whatever it is that's been sprayed then that really yeah i can i can totally understand mm. that. And, it, and it's also re- yeah reducing the fact that you, you're, you're trying to encourage a wide range of biodiversity into your garden by doing something which you feel is a good thing for your garden you might it's be having a detrimental yeah, yeah. effect on it. And for me, that's quite interesting because I, I foliar feed a lot during the, the summer. Um, I use a lot of uh, foliar feed, either miracle Grow or Phosphagen with a bit of maxi crop in. I'm a great believer in those. So maybe I need to be careful when I do it. Perhaps I need to be thinking. Look, right on stick the, the food into the soil, maybe, yeah. rather than... Indeed, yeah, just adopt a different way. But mm. it's, uh, it's interesting, and, you know, you know these, these findings, you know, they're suggesting could have a, a very negative impact on, on the natural world. And, you know, as I say, we always tend to think it's all about, uh, you know, the actual pesticide causing the problem, but actually just fertilisers. Fertilisers can like, also be a source of issues. Yeah, too. Yeah. Well, I guess... That sounds very believable. Yeah, it does indeed in this in this present world. Yeah. And our friend Stuart Lowen from Ball Colgrave has been telling us that his new award-winning apple blossom, Busy Lizzie, should be available mm. next year. That's exciting, isn't it? So um, yeah, back back in July, we got to to see the new Glimmer range of these. Uh, Varieties of, of busy lizzie which have got really good downy mildew resistance because if you go back a few years, Peter, basically our busy lizzie in patching cells just died because the, they all got powdery uh, mildew, yeah, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, and these are all seed raised, of course. Um, so there's been a lot of research, a lot of breeding, bringing some of the qualities of the the older seed varieties, which have wonderful colours, yep. into the into the, the next century now with with this extra genetic bit of work on the on the double flowers and the compactness as well so they've created a, a really good plant i think there's seven colors in the series last year obviously or this year shall i say we were looking at them as a as a new plant and of course 2023 they'll be available in the garden center probably from probably the last end of april into may onwards so if you want to revisit the busy lizzie in a double form not a single flower Mm. And this is the plant to go to, and it, it did perform really well. It's, it was a lovely, lovely plant. Mine were flowering, the plants I got flowered right into October before oh. it, it ran out of steam. Brilliant. And I've, I've put it in the greenhouse. I'm hoping I can overwinter it, but if I don't, I'll, I'll buy myself a new one because it's well worth it. Yeah. Excellent. And I also see Impomia solar tower. Now, Impomia, isn't that. Um mm. Morning Glory? It is, yes. It's the, so the bindweed I mean, family. A, yeah, a proper fast grower, oh, isn't it? Yeah. Now I wonder if this um, solar tower grows quite as well as the yeah. <laughs> morning glory. Yeah, it's got a nice colour though, doesn't it? Fan- it yeah, fantastic colour. A- yeah, and of course, Ipomoea is related. It's obviously in the sweet potato family. So, really, I yeah. never knew that. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah. So you <laughs> aren't they poisonous though? 
Yeah, the, the uh, good old epimere is, is toxic, so uh, be careful as you're handling it and certainly don't eat those uh, those roots. Yeah, it's the seeds as well from memory and the mm. flowers. So, yeah, it, it's a lovely flower yeah. and a lovely fast-growing, yeah. what would you call it, coverage plant, I yeah, suppose? Yeah, it's, it's a climber. A, a, a it's climber very, that yeah. goes everywhere, but definitely don't eat it. Quite invasive. <laughs> I, I grew um, not this, this solar tower because obviously it's a new one in, in, in some pots this, this year, and I had two pots, and one of them flowered really well. Um, with these these blue big blue flowers, they only last a day or two. The other pot, not one flower. So, really? uh, and they were next to each other. They were both in the same peat-free compost, but one didn't and one did. One so, did. yeah. But are they male and female plants? No, they were they, they were grown from seed. Um, so, okay. so I was a little bit despondent. But the flowers are lovely, and uh, I mean, and it did seem to enjoy the, the hot weather as well. So, yeah, that's yeah. my memory of it, and yeah. it does well on a sunny spot. Indeed, yeah. And thinking about obviously plants that are growing garden centres, I see Blue Diamond is growing even more. They've mm. taken over Van Hague's. Yeah, so Van Hague's are based in Hertfordshire, if memory serves me correct. They've got three yeah. good, amazing garden centres, actually. One at, at Cheney's, which is one I used to pop into uh, when I went to Cheney's Manor okay. uh, many, many years ago. And, of course, obviously some large garden centres. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I was gonna, I've was yeah. been to the one in, I'm going to say Peterborough, yeah. that's on the old Brownfield rubbish and, site. And, and then and their main one is Great Amwell, and that's their, I think that's their flagship that's, that's store. flagship store, Yeah, so I think... Uh, but no, uh, obviously wonderfully run uh, garden centres under the new uh, Blue Diamond uh, banner yeah. now. Because, I mean, when you see them, you think, wow, this is um, must be a big family. But it's not. It's, no, Van Hags are a... Mm. They were a, a family business and mm-hmm. obviously now joined the Blue Diamond group, which is um, mm-hmm. quite a few garden centres now, isn't it? It's, it's increased quite, quite considerably, nearly, yeah. Nearly got to the same number as Yvel, has it? I was going to say, I wasn't going to use the Yvel <laughs> word, but uh, <laughs> they, they're getting they're, that way, aren't they? Yeah, so, hopefully yeah. they'll do a good job. But they're keeping the name and trading as Van Hags still, is, even though... They're not. Which is so, so good to hear, isn't it? I think. Yeah. yeah. yeah Hopefully the staff identity. will yeah. get to keep their jobs. Indeed. And then who else has been taken over? Well, the, yeah. It's Rosebourne, isn't Rosebourne. it? The food shop stroke garden centre. Hadn't been going long from my recollection. Couldn't actually remember mm-hmm. speaking about them earlier quite how long they've been going. But that was um, Carol Paris and... Used to be president, I think, of the HTA a couple point, of years yeah. ago mm-hmm. um, before she took on this role. But yeah, they've yeah. Um, sold out to Hilliers. So, yeah. so the Hilliers now climbed to twenty-two garden centres. So you know yeah, they're, catch- they're... <laughs> they're catching up with Blue Diamond, sort of. Um, but no, yes, obviously um, a lot of emphasis now of Hilliers has gone over to to retail. Their nursery, uh, obviously, their famous nursery supplies all their garden centres, which, if, of course, for us is a bit of a disappointment because yeah, because they pulled out of yeah. Supplying all and sundry, and mm. just now concentrate on their own garden centres. Indeed, which, totally understandable. When you've got twenty odd garden centres, you need an awful lot of plants yeah. to service all those garden centres. But as we found out from good old uh, uh, Alan down last last month, of course, um, the the heritage of, of Hilliers, you know, all the wonderful species and varieties which are available. Uh, through their their garden centres is, is is just not available to other independents, which I think is a bit of a shame, really. Mm, yeah, it but, is. Uh, but uh, no, it's it's, I mean, it's it's good news, and of course, uh, this is a, yet another big big in- inclusion to uh, growing the the garden centre groups. And talking about Hillier's nursery, the sort of plant growing side of things, they've been buying up 
um, yeah. bit of land, have they? They've got obviously got a very good uh, wallet of money at the moment, Peter. <laughs> so they've just bought a a two hundred acre Flexicum um, farm over in Lys, and they've got basically that two hundred acres is going to amount to thirty thousand trees grown there okay. at any one time, and it's a it's a four million pound purchase. So big, big money, but they are seeing such a big, huge demand in trees uh, as. Which is so good to hear as well. They need to obviously the the, the space to develop, and obviously they're uh, they're growing it into a much better obviously brand with the, with the Hillier's name. Brilliant, yeah. Because I mean, well, tree nurseries are, do well in this country, don't mm. they? And yeah. I went out on a garden centre visit recently to Burford Garden Centre, mm. which is a should I say a sort of top of the range garden mm. centre? Yeah, yes. it's a mm-hmm. very it's a lovely garden centre, but they had some apple trees there that were a thousand pounds each, oh, uh, and yeah, the pots were I don't know thousand liters or so. Wow. I've never seen the, these were trees that you need a forklift to I lift. I say you could put those in a garden centre trolley very well. They, you know. yeah, and yeah. they had I would say a good half a dozen mm. of them. So if mm. you wanted to create a apple tree avenue, oh, it'd be perfect. Yes. But yeah, so long as you've got very deep pockets. <laughs> Indeed, um, Hillier's um, sort of went on to say that the, the reason they want to do this is that the demand for government tree planting targets has increased. Okay, which is maybe so. That's not in the towns and the cities, but obviously, if you think about all the new builds going up and all the new developments, um, and of course, the planners are raising the bar now, wanting more greenery in these new areas as well. And of course, the more greening, hopefully, that's going to have a beneficial effect on climate change, isn't it? So, hopefully, yeah, yes. hats off to Hilliers for for that sort of investment. And for people who like the. English flag and the lovely blues, reds and whites. I read a nice article in Amateur Gardening about British Garden Centre Group promoting planting some bulbs and muscari or so yeah red tulips white tulips and blue muscari or you could use they're suggesting bluebells mm. now chris you were suggesting this could work well as a lasagna planting couldn't that's it, it. and we're, i know we're, we're we're into december but you can still grab some bulbs at this time of year often garden centers are clearing the areas out because obviously they're putting the last minute yeah, christmas in makes makes room for christmas it doesn't does, it so yeah. you get, grab yourself a bargain yeah so choo- yeah so your tulips so your red tulips and your white tulips would be perfect and the idea of a lasagna planting is you put the bulbs which flower latest in first so you put in two or three layers within your pot so you put your tulips in there so would you put you put your muscari in first and then the tulips on top or no, so the tulips would go in first and right. then and then, then muscari on top on top that's it and then okay. you could put some um, yeah so it'd be red and white uh, tulips of course there's lots of different varieties I mean the triumph ones would be good I mean red I mean some good varieties like red riding hood which is a lovely it's a lovely yeah. tulip isn't it um, and of course there's some of the white ones too so maybe try and go for sort of um, mid to late flowering I would say but then. I was saying, Peter, in a way, if you create this lasagna pot, you want it to look nice over a, a number of weeks or even months. Yep. Doing its crescendo, its red red and white um, tulips, in perhaps in May, linking up to the, the coronation of, 
of the king. So you could do That's it that a good way. Good idea. And, then, and what about if you wanted to do like a flower bed, her sort of mm. celebration of the royal colours? Colours, oh, <laughs> very <that's> patriotic. Right. <laughs> yeah. What would you use for getting yeah. something that all comes up together? And mm. if you wanted to plant a British flag, bearing in mind it's May, you know your summer bedding's probably going to be out of the question. So have a look at your your, your red, white uh, violas and pansies. There's plenty right. of those. You can get those as straight colours now, as clear clear colours. And then if you, for your blue. Forget-me-nots, forget-me-nots. That's my, a good idea, my yeah. So you can get those in, obviously, blue. You can even get white mosotis as well. And then lasagna plant in the border. So go down a little bit deeper, do one layer, and then do another layer in your soil. So you, you create yeah. double the impact in the space, and it makes your bulbs really work for the space as well. Brilliant. Great idea. Thanks, Chris. I don't know if I've talked about them before, but on my drive home, I get to see some giant hogweed in Ooh, the summer, nice. which I don't, it's not a bad, is it a banned plant or a sort of one that you meant it's, to notify the council you, you about? Not, it's notifiable because obviously it's, it's, it's pretty toxic. Those, those uh, stems and uh, sap, if it gets on your hands, cause a photosensitivity issues so okay so that, that makes you extra sensitive to the sunlight yeah which usually ends up in some really nasty um swellings and blisters oh my word it's not very nice at all if that okay so, so northampton council if you're listening you've got mm. some giant hogweed growing at the near the bedford roundabout Rushmere Road. And they need to go as soon as possible. But of course, cow parsley is in the same family, and people often sort of mix that up. And of course, cow parsley is the opposite. You, you still have to be careful with the, the foliage on those. You can get a bit of a, a rash, but yeah, nowhere near as, as toxic. And it's about half the size as well, because mm. a giant yeah. hogweed, I mean, that gets a good, I'm going to say three metres tall oh, yeah, in, yeah, in the height of summer, and it grows amongst the cow parsley on the bottom of Rushmore Road. So <laughs> it, does, it, it looks it, lovely, but yeah. obviously not a good plant. No, no, don't, don't, and certainly don't get mixed them up. But, but uh, we've found some even more poisonous plants, haven't we? We have, yes. This is an article which appeared on one of the, the Welsh websites when I was doing my research, Peter, and it's, um, it's actually over in, in Conway, so it's north... North Wales. North Wales, yeah. North Wales, yeah. And basically, uh, the the headline is World's Most Poisonous Plant Found in Welsh Flower Beds. I mean, you really couldn't make that up, could you? This this plant is ricinus. It's the uh, the castor oil plant. Isn't it the fake castor oil plant? Well, yes. This is, this <laughs> this is, is the best thing about <laughs> common names, isn't <laughs> is it? it? Yeah. Is it the fake or is the real fake? one? Well, but no. What's the Latin name for yes, it, Chris? So, so that this one, the, the toxic one, is ricinus. Ricinus. Ricin. If I say the word ricin, ah. then you start to think about um, yeah, uh, Russian spies and. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I can't remember who it was, but someone did something in the underground with ricin. That's it. Oh, it's, it's, it's incredibly toxic, incredibly poisonous. And unfortunately, this, this particular plant, beautiful as it is, and to paint a picture of it, it produces very palmate leaves, very much like the other castor oil plant. Ah, uh, the genuine one. Yeah, Fatsia japonica, which yeah. is the one we used to grow as a houseplant many years ago. Now we grow it as an outdoor shrub, really good sort of shrub. But this is this has the that has green leaves. The the, the most poisonous plant has red leaves, uh, right, which are okay. very pretty, and that's why they're used as a height plant in a, in bedding displays to give height and interest. And it produces these sort of uh, orangey red. Um, flowers they're almost like thistle like flowers um, quite spiky and inside of course they contain the nasty very very poisonous seeds ah. um, and I have to say Peter 
I do grow this plant uh, occasionally at home, and you can buy the seeds. Um, and there okay. is, and there's lots of markings on the seed packet to say that it is poisonous. But it grows really well; it germinates, and it will make a really good plant. But you've got to treat it with a lot of respect. Excellent. And the big butterfly count results are in, aren't they, Chris? They are. So this all took place between the fifteenth of July and August the seventh uh, this summer, and. Uh, not very good, I'm afraid. Um, so the count was sh- a lot down on, on previous years. In fact, it's gone down to a 13-year low. Wow. Um, and what's worrying is obviously it included some of the, the you know, the, 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 the more well-known favourites like red admirals and uh, small whites and such like. So they were missing from okay. the, the observations too. So, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it My was cabbage ob- whites have done well this year. <laughs> they, 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 I see there's still quite a few of them flying around. But yeah. like you say, peacocks and red admirals and yeah. the nicer, sort of more ornate-looking ones, that's a shame. It's- it is, yeah. And, I mean, it's, they said partly maybe to climate change and obviously to the, the hot weather, that might have had a, you know, a knock-on yeah. effect. Uh, but it's it's still worrying. But, um, yeah, the, however, there's some, some good news from it. Some species uh, did show a revival. So okay. Uh, they included uh, the uh, the the uh, the comma and the common uh, common blue, and the holly blue. Oh right, which I think from my my days of butterfly spotting, they they are quite quite significant ones. They're aren't they? lovely Funny ones from they? memory. They're beautiful. Yeah. I I, I, I mm. can remember like you as a child. Yeah. yeah, I was always after one because they looked lovely beautiful in the books, but I never yeah. found one. No, indeed. So uh, obviously it's 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 food for thought, isn't it? And I mm. think and as as we know as a garden centre and as a garden centre trade. We are encouraging people to plant, you know, plants for pollinators and uh, look out for that butterfly logo on, on your plants. This, 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 in yeah, the next definitely. Few, the seed months. packets have all got yeah. the little bee symbol on, yeah. which is a good indication yeah. they're good for pollinators. And yeah, so plant a few more for next year, perhaps. And the NGS Visitor's Handbook actually yes. has been published for 2023. So thinking ahead to next year already and those mm. lovely gardens we can go and visit and i would say peter i mean you know with christmas you know literally on our doorstep now what a nice little gift for somebody who really likes that's their, a really good idea yeah, actually yeah, i might yeah. get that for my mother oh i can't say that can i because oh, that's, no, that's not a good thing <laughs> yeah i mean i think the thing is in a way it's, it's just such a good you know book to have because obviously you've got all the references and obviously all the descriptions i mean you can do it on your telephone they've got a nice posh app and things but actually to hold the book and use it and have it in the car when you're out and about because um, oh. obviously you sometimes rely on the, their wonderful signs they put out if you happen to be driving past but uh, if you've got a plan you you visit then you need something a little bit more uh, more of a reference really good idea yeah. like you say you plan a few days out across the summer and mm. as long as the weather's nice you can yeah, indeed go and enjoy some yeah nice for garden visits and possibly some cake of course there has to be cake doesn't it definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely and thinking of cake, that's, uh, yeah, I suppose better do some jobs before we start thinking about eating cake again, shouldn't we? Chris? Indeed, and we're, yeah, we've got a, got a few jobs for, for for this month, Peter. Um, what do we got to get on with then? Mm, so thinking about that Christmas tree again, um, yeah, when you get it home from from the garden centre, obviously it's going to be netted. If you can, give it a little bit of a, a bit of a respite in some water. Uh, yeah, I normally to cut the uh, de-net them. Mm. And then go and stand them in you know, like one of the tub trucks, just out uh, leaning up against the side of the house overnight, because it lets the branches drop down as well. I find, which is makes it a bit harder getting it back in the house. Say so that could be a bit tricky, but <laughs> yeah. at least it means when you put it out, you can 
you don't have to wait quite so long because if you don't leave it sort of 24 hours for the leaves to drop out, one, mm. or not the branches to drop, when you put your baubles on, they all yeah, pull down not, and it, it looks lovely when you do it and you walk around, uh, walk away and come back the next day it's and it's all changed. It's got Christmas, Christmas tree sag. It's got droop, yeah, <laughs> droop, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I always um, cut the bottom inch mm. or so off the trunk, yeah. which I think that's meant to help the water go in. Indeed. Do you, do you use a stand with a reservoir in? Or Yes, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. got a nice little stand with a spike, sort of a slightly conical spike, mm-hmm. so I drill the hole out again so okay. it fits on the spike Perfect. and cut the bottom inch off and the other thing that i do is um mist my tree when it's in the house okay now i don't know if it's the right thing to do and right. I, i'm very fortunate i've got ro water which is essentially pure water mm-hmm. so it doesn't leave water stains all over the baubles and right. okay. the lights i've got a waterproof so it doesn't, yeah. doesn't bother but yeah i think if you can that's meant to help as well it will be, it yeah. just keeps it a little bit moister and stops it evaporating and i suppose the usual sort of advice make sure you keep your tree positioned away from obviously open fires or from um, uh, wood burners and away from radiators anywhere there's lots of direct heat where it's going to dry yep. the plant out and obviously you, you know the cooler you can keep the room the better i mean that's easier said than done over over the festive period isn't it but uh, yeah that, that will help too great and then thinking sort of outside, and you know we're going to be obviously eating well in the next few weeks as Christmas. Of course, we've got to think about our uh, our bird feeders as well, um, mm. and making sure we've got a nice mix of of different bird foods. Um, you know, whether it's sunflowers, peanuts, mixed seeds. Um, birds are just like us; they like a bit of variety. So yeah, yeah. yeah. and the ones that really uh, fat balls, mm. they always seem to go first on my. They birth. do. Yeah, yes. yeah the, the birds seem to love those, and the, they suet treats. Mm-hmm. I, I personally don't use them, but I know we sell a lo- awful lot of them, and yeah. They, yeah. they seem very uh, popular at this time of the year. But I guess they're nice and fatty for the birds, so they're full of energy. Indeed, and if the weather obviously does get a bit colder, then they're going to do that, and of course they're going to need water as well. So if you have got a, a you know a little uh, water pool or something where you, you can keep that nice and top to bottom, fresh bird yeah, bath. Yeah, because we talked about that, making mm. sure if it does get frosty and mm. cold to go and put a bit of warm water on it and defro- yeah, defrost it yeah. defrost it so yeah, that they yeah. can and, and, have somewhere and, and, to drink uh, yeah keep it topped up with some nice fresh water every every other day perhaps just to, to help them along there so uh, yeah make sure if you've got them set up in your tree or if you've got a, a proper bird feeding station i know i know we sell a few of those over the course yeah. of the year um and uh, yeah they're looking like quite a nice feature in the garden too if they're nicely set up yeah and i guess um cut Cutting back shrubbery, mm. I was just thinking, um, I seem to remember my grandmother used to make her own sort of wreaths for the door, mm. and yeah. she used to go and hack back the holly tree yeah. and make her own holly wreaths Indeed. from that. If you've got lots of evergreen material, then it's, it's a really good way. I mean, uh, I think we mentioned last month about you know, maybe going to a, a wreath-making session, but actually if it's getting a little bit later on the season, but you need, you need, know this needs to be looking good for a number of days over the festive period. Have a look around, go around with the secateurs, and if you've got some nice berrying plants, some cotoneaster, maybe some of the, the fruits on your... Uh, uh, your crab apples, they would look rather nice, wouldn't they? Oh, yeah, it's yeah. a good idea. And uh, yeah, be inventful and have something which is, you know, hand produced, you know, made, handmade and hand produced from your garden. That's a nice, tes- a nice testament to put on your front door, I would say. Definitely, it's a great idea. And I guess with frosts sort of looming, mm-hmm. 
wrapping them up in fleece if yeah. we haven't done it yet. Yes, um, I think we've moving been moving them. Yeah, I mean, it's all this. This autumn has been a bit tricky, and as now we are now into winter. Yeah, you need to be making sure those uh, plants are protected, either bringing them indoors uh, in a you know a cold or unheated greenhouse or a garage. If you're bringing them inside and they've got lots of leaves on, you know, they're going to need light. So try and give them a nice light spot. But, yeah, just hold on the watering, let them have a bit of a rest. And fingers crossed, you know, Mother Nature will see them through. I mean, cannas, for example, um, I know my cannas are still as gr- very green at the moment. And some recommendation in order to, to cut them back. But I've, I've read a number of... Um, you know, experts now suggesting just leave them as a green plant, and that okay. will help them uh, come through the winter a lot better, rather so than chopping mm. them hard back. So, I'm going to be adopting that little rule this this year. Well, see how they do in the spring. Mm. It's interesting. And of course, I think the other thing, uh, Peter, as well, certainly the garden centre at the moment, we've got some lovely fragrant shrubs. Uh, you know, and if again, if you're looking for sort of last minute Christmas gift ideas for people who really like their gardens, you know, a nice fragrant Daphne or a a lovely uh, Christmas box, Saracocca, which we sell plenty of as, as a hedging plant, but bite as yeah, a yeah. shrub, have it somewhere, you know, they can pot into a pot close by the door where they can actually enjoy the fragrance. That would, would be would be good as well. Um, so, yeah, have a have a think, you know, for your, for your gardening friends. I know, you know, they often the cop-out is to get a garden voucher, a good old HTA or a local garden centre voucher, but sometimes actually um, buying a plant is... Far more personable, isn't it? I think so, and yeah, I mean, you think the number of house plants we sell mm. as gifts. I mean, Gosh, a, yes. a nice orchid for Christmas, or yeah. a nice um, uh, or azalea uh, mm. for Christmas. I mean, they make lovely presents, don't they? They and they're, do. They're yeah. nice and f- full of flower, mm. bit of cheer for the winter. It is, yeah. And I, I always think, <laughs> maybe it's me being the usual um trying to trying to make things easier i mean buying a you know a, a gift of a, a plant you can get them gift wraps that saves on the christmas wrapping as well if you leave it to the last minute um uh, maybe diff- difficult to hide from nearest and dearest perhaps but if it's for family members that might be a good way of getting out of the the christmas wrapping too brilliant idea and yeah nice bow it, yeah, it sorts it right out it doesn't does. it brilliant great I suppose if you're getting out and about, you know, to to you know get rid of that uh, that that Christmas dinner, there's a bit of pruning you can be doing, Peter. Now, sort of okay. fruit trees, and we often talk about winter yep. pruning. If you haven't done them during the summer, give them a tidy up. If they're because they're they're denuded of leaves, you can see the framework, so you can go in there and and open the tree up. If there's any dead or dying or damaged wood or diseased wood, cut yep. that out. Try and open that. And if you've got any, you know, espalier trees, give them a bit of a tidy up as well. So. It's, you know, you get a nice, you know, crisp, you know, December day. There's nothing quite like it going out and doing a bit of bit of pruning. Well, I think the sensation of walking on frozen ground, mm. if it's like nicely turned over, it's lovely when you see the white frost on the... Oh, yes, yeah. Just be careful ground. on your lawn, though, because obviously you can... Yeah, you can true, keep, true. Yeah, you have to be a little true. bit careful there. So, uh, But certainly um, that would be good as well. And uh, we were talking about rhubarb uh, earlier, uh, the fact that they've, they've been moved from to the north, from the south. Yep. If you've got large clumps of rhubarb in your own garden, now is the time... December to to do a bit of lifting and dividing if it's a very mature clump. Yeah, because my rhubarb, I was talking to my father about this, I've been wanting to split it for a while now. I'd mm-hmm. say it's about a couple of foot across okay. the crown. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. enormous. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I originally thought I was going to have to dig the whole lot up 
and split it once I dug it up. But he was saying, no, just chop some off the exactly. egg. Yes. So yeah. no, I, I, I'll, I'll just pick. Now, do I do it when it's all dead, or is it best to leave it till it started sprouting in the I, spring, I, I, and I, you can see where the is it buds? I yeah, don't the buds know will grow. Yeah, yeah. So you'll see that within the crown, there'll there'll be um, sort of resting buds there. So as long as it's nice and plump, the the bit you you detach. I would do it, you know, do it this month or into January. Okay. And detach there, and remember the outer extremes of a plant, as we know with perennials, usually is the the younger the plant. So it's the yeah, in yeah. the middle is obviously the oldest part. So you'll you'll revitalize your new clump by by starting with a a fresh offset. Okay, and. The other thing I learnt many years ago with rhubarb is that you can't harvest it for sort of a couple of years mm. after planting it. Mm-hmm. So with the old crown, if I'm just chopping bits off the edge of it, mm. can I still pull from it you next can. spring? Yes, so you, your, your original mother plant is fine. Um, just the babies that I pull off it that's it. leave yeah. for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Give, them, yeah. give them all you know, a nice, nice mulch, give them some nice compost, or if you can get some well-rotted manure, give them a real treat yeah, yeah. over the next uh, couple of months, and then that'll put the plants in the right sort of stage then to start development. Yeah, probably you might be able to pull a few, if you've got a decent size offshoot, you might be able to have you know maybe one or two sticks in the second year, but probably from year three you'll be back into production again. Well, I grow. I mean, my my mm. rhubarb grows like a wildfire. It's a monster, yeah. and mm. so I don't have to worry about yeah That's not good. having enough rhubarb to eat. But I do like dividing it just to keep it growing as it were because yeah. i don't want your mother plant to be the exactly only one to die out yeah i think that's thing revitalizing and, and you know knowing when to stop pulling as well to give the plant chance especially this this summer we've experienced of course the the plants were obviously probably suffering from a lot of stress on the roots as we got into sort of june time yep um so yeah knowing when to stop and then obviously allowing the, the plants to, to to grow as well um also uh, as we're thinking about you know, making our homes nice and fragrant for for Christmas. Yep. If you've been growing and forcing some hyacinths, now's the time to start bringing them in gradually from where you've had them resting. Yeah, yeah. So if you've had them in the dark, they'll come out. They'll be very yellow, very chlorotic looking. Literally three or four days in a nice light windowsill, kept quite cool. Those shoots will go nice and green, and then hopefully in the centre of the, um, the 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 buds there, you'll you'll start to see yeah, the, the flower spike. spike yeah. yeah. And then you can pot them up. Usually, put three together in a nice bowl, and often use a little cyclamen or a little fern in the middle just to finish it, finish the display off, or maybe a little primrose if you if you're so inclined to give it a bit more colour. Mm, that's a good idea. So, PC with our houseplants as well, we just need to be a little bit careful on the watering. Um, you, know, you know, sparing is the key at this time of year. Don't want to overdo it. Um, obviously, that isn't isn't good for all plants, really. Um, yeah, bog plants like obviously a bit of water, but mm. um, my herbs were suffering and turning into bog plants. I realised oh. um, a couple of weeks ago that uh, when I looked out, the, the sources are all full of water because ah. it's obviously all this rain that we've been having yes. and they're just sat in them and I hadn't thought to empty the sources. Ooh, okay. So is it a good idea to take the sources away mm, in the yeah. winter or and just leave them on the pots on the ground? Or what, yes. what's your thoughts I would say yes if the the plants are, are reasonably well uh, established in the pots, so they've got a yep. good strong root system. Yeah, the last thing you want them is, is sitting in water. That's going to cause all sorts of root stress on them as well. Um, and yeah, then obviously start thinking about returning them. Perhaps you know once we get into February, March when it starts to warm up and they start to put some growth on. But yeah, be 
err on the edge of caution and uh, keep yeah, them drier. Keep over them drier, the definitely. Yes, and uh, obviously, if they're standing, if they're if they're outside, if they're on on decking or on a, a paving slab, you might need to then think about getting some pot feet to to raise them, especially some more yeah. mature plants. So have a look at those possibilities. You can buy terracotta pot feet, uh, terracotta pot feet, and you can get plastic ones now. So they're, yeah. not, they're not too expensive, and they, they can save your plant from. Uh, well, I guess that's probably terrible if you've got it in a saucer and that then freezes. Oh gosh, yeah, that would kill all the roots in the bottom of the pot as well. Yeah, so. and, then, and then of course it would stop any any rain then penetrating through. So it's a double whammy: it's frozen soil and then it's overwatered. Yeah, yeah, so not good. Yeah. Okay, I best go do that then, Chris. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And I suppose just a reminder: I'm sure many of our, our listeners will have, have got their greenhouse up to, to speed for uh, for for preparations for next month when we start to do a bit of seed sowing and starting new plants off but if you haven't cleaned your greenhouse uh get the glass cleaned and get the uh get the jays fluid out or the uh, yep. syntrox um product on the market which is obviously based on uh, citronella to give it a really good disinfectant all the nooks and crannies and but outside clean the glass make sure it's got it's allowing as much light as possible and obviously clean the glutters of your, your greenhouse as well um yep. to, to stop any problems it's a very therapeutic thing cleaning your greenhouse i have to say but it does look brilliant it, doesn't it, it? You, you've got a nice clean shiny gra- uh, yeah. glass and you don't realize mm-hmm. how much mm. difference it makes to the light levels it until does. you've done it. it really... and, it, and it did it sort of incentivizes you to, to actually start doing some seed sowing and things. So that catalyst yep. is is worth doing that. And of course, make sure all you see you know seed trays and pots are, are given a dipping as well. Make sure they're nicely sterilized. Yeah, because you can sterilize them at the same time, mm, can't you? Can. And then they're yep. all ready for yep. reusing again next year. Yeah, it's a it's a definitely a wet weather job, but well worth doing. And any pests that we need to be thinking about in the greenhouse? Yes. Spider mite, isn't it, this time yeah. of year? Yes, spider mite, if you're keeping your greenhouse heated, it could be a problem. But again, if you give it a really good clear out, it would be, would be good. But red spider mite indoors is more yep. of an issue. So mist spraying, so getting that sprayer out and just spraying water onto your plants on a regular basis. I know in the garden centre here, we, we mist spray in the morning every morning on our foliage plants. Okay, and that keeps the spider mite away, yeah, does it? Yeah, it improves the humidity. Red spider mite loves dry, arid conditions. Ah. Put, put moisture into the atmosphere, it's moist, it doesn't like those conditions. So you're, you're creating the, the perfect conditions it doesn't like, and uh, and that's um, that should hopefully deter well. them. Brilliant. Yeah. And thinking about houseplants, Chris, we've got a TV celebrity mm. gardener i suppose yeah call and, and, uh, an instagram sensation is that is yeah that, is that yeah, bigging yeah, so the gentleman up nicely <laughs> that's it so uh, a, a discussion on house plants in a couple of weeks time with tony Lebrisson. yes i'm really looking forward to it he's uh he, he, he has obviously done remarkably well um on 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 uh, social media and he's uh, certainly a, a go-to person for everything house plants so it'd be nice to chat to to him in a, in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, and if you're in Northampton in the town centre, he, he's got a lovely shop. It's well worth a visit. I went in there a week or so ago, and yeah, I was blown away by some yeah. of the house plants in there. It's really Fantastic. Sounds interesting. Good, yeah. And the, the name of the shop is Not Another Jungle. Not Another Jungle. That's yeah, it. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah, well worth a visit if you're in Northampton. So look forward to that. And uh, well, as, as we're now entering that, that Christmas time, um, it's sort of uh, preparations, really, isn't it, Peter? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, 
enjoy the last leaf sweepings and yes. sorting everything out. And yeah, and the 21st of December, of course, it starts to get lighter. We go into the winter That's equinox. True, yeah. So it's all good, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah. yeah so winter equinox coming. So yeah. it must be time to go Christmas shopping, Chris. That sounds a good plan. Nice one. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Peter. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.